0: Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series seven, the root vices. This series looks at the seven root vices from which other sins grow and identifies ways we can cut the root vices and become more like Jesus. Today's text will be Proverbs chapter 5 verses 21 through 23. Proverbs 5, verses 21 to 23. We'll be using the New International Version. So hear now the word of the Holy God. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. In recent years, there's actually been a little bit of a renewal of discussion about the seven deadly sins. It's actually been around for a long time, even in ways that you may not be aware of. Uh, Many of you may not be aware of this, for example, but. Uh, the, the creator of a little TV show called Gilligan's Island pointed out afterwards that actually the characters on the island were kind of representations of the seven deadly sins. The professor was pride. Ginger would be lust. Mary was envy. The howls were greed and gluttony. The skipper was anger, and Gilligan was Sloth, he's always wanting to lie around. So it's been there for years, but there was a real renewal of interest because of a movie a few years ago. Many of you may remember the movie Seven with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. And it was a movie where there was a, uh, an individual that was being a serial killer, and he was killing people for each of the seven deadly sins. And he killed them in a way that was related to the seven deadly sins. And so this kind of put it back in our, conver- our cultural conversation and everybody wondered what was in the box of the seven deadly sins. What's going on here? And so th- this has kind of had it going, but it's actually been in many other ways. Many years ago, Harper's uh, Magazine ran an ad campaign for the- each uh, one of the seven deadly sins was highlighted. This is the one for lust. And it's a picture of a man, you know, kind of, trying to kiss a woman, and it says, any sin that's enabled us to survive centuries of war and death and pestilence and famine can't be called deadly. Lust, where would we be without it? So their take was lust is just what's kept us going as people. If we didn't have lust, there wouldn't be any new babies coming, which shows a deep misunderstanding of lust. The interesting thing is, actually, Every last ad agency wanted to get to do lust. They didn't all want the other sins, but they all wanted lust. Another one you may not be aware of, but there is a board game out there that's now gonna be on the screen. If you can go ahead and Called The Seven Deadly Sins, The Game. And it's basically trivial pursuit, and you go around and you answer questions about the seven deadly sins, but notice the, the subtext is knowledge can get you places but you got to sin to win. And the reason is because at the end of it, if you remember Trivial Pursuit, you come in and there's an alleyway down to the center, and in the center there's kind of the devil with the flames and all that. You actually have to practice the sin to get down into the middle. So you literally have to sin to win. And there are many other ways that this happens. So seven deadly sins are in our cultural consciousness, but we've actually begun more to make light of them and even to tell people what you really ought to do is just embrace them. It's just fun. I mean, if it wasn't for lust, we wouldn't still be here. And we can make a game out of this where you actually have to practice the sin to be able to get down to the middle because you have to sin to win. So what I want to do today as we're introducing this series is I want to ask that question, do we really have to sin to win in life? And what are these seven root vices that we're going to be talking about? And why am I calling them root vices instead of seven deadly sins? Because most of the stuff refers to it as the seven deadly sins, but that really misses the point of what they are. And a big question we want to ask each week is how do I cut that vice? and encourage the virtue that opposes it that helps me be more like Jesus. So our series from now until Easter is going to be seven, The Root Vices. Now today we begin by looking at the destructive power of sin. And the reason I'm doing this is, I mean, first off, because it's true. But again, secondly, the way our culture approaches this is that it's kind of a joke. There's really nothing bad about these things but notice what the scripture tells us proverbs 5 and our text today begins by telling us god is watching and he's examining our ways notice verse 21 for a man's ways are in full view of the lord nothing is hidden i mean excuse me and he examines all his paths our ways that that phrase there was in uh, the book of proverbs in particular but throughout the old testament the way of a person describes their character and their conduct. It's their mode and manner of life, whether it is good or whether it is evil. And the writer of Proverbs is reminding us here that God sees and knows all. Nothing is hidden from him. And in fact, because he sees and knows all, he is actually examining the way we live. Now, We might sit here, and in fact, in our culture today, we often would look at that and say, wow, that's kind of a negative down thought. I I don't like the way that makes me feel. Can we talk about something I mean, surely God is just looking at me like a kindly grandfather and, you know, not paying that much attention to it. But the scripture says, no, that feeling in the pit of your stomach is there for a good reason because God is watching. And God is examining. And this is meant to prompt us to live in holiness. Like our culture tries to put death out of our mind, we want to put any sense of God watching out of our mind. But that's one aspect of this. The one I really want to focus on is the Scripture goes on and gives us a second reason to avoid sin and vice. It's not just that God is watching. It's because sin itself is its own penalty. Sin is ensnares and binds us. It's not a joke. It's not how you win. Notice verse 22. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. Sin is not inert. Y'all remember in chemistry we talked about certain uh, certain items like gases were usually what it was and they're inert they don't act with other things you can put them there and they have no effect our culture tells you and me sin is inert you can mix it into your life you can mix it into a family into a church into a culture and it doesn't really have an effect but the scripture says that's not true sin is not inert it has consequences and in fact, the consequence here is sin ensnares. It's a trap, and it holds us fast, and what it does is it creates habits that become very hard to break. And as if it's not enough to say it once, the writer of Proverbs, using that principle of parallelism, says that it's not just his evil d- deeds of a wicked man in him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. Notice evil deeds in the second one where it's intensified, they're cords. It says that basically when you step into this, it becomes a cord and it traps you, it ensnares you, it holds you. And it's almost the more you struggle, the harder you find it is to be able to get out. It makes escape very difficult. And if we are honest, how many of us have ever found ourselves developing habit patterns and you want to get out of them and you find it hard? hard. See, if what the culture told us was true, that wouldn't be the case. But the fact is, it's very hard to break sinful habits. And the longer they're ingrained, the harder it becomes. And then, as if that's not bad enough, the writer goes on and tells us, sin is not inert, it has its consequences, and the ultimate consequence is death. Sin's desired outcome is, is death it has something that it wants tells us in verse 23 he will die for his lack of discipline led astray by his own great folly this is the the ancient writer's way of saying the wages of sin is death what paul summarizes in romans 6 23 for us now we oftentimes think that that means our physical death we sinned in the garden and therefore we die and that is true, but the writer of Proverbs is saying much, something much more profound than that. Sin is death in everything it touches, not just at the end of your life. Sin produces death. It kills relationships. It destroys and eats up and kills wealth. It wipes out a reputation. It sucks away and saps and extinguishes joy. Whatever sin touches, it produces death. That is its nature. That is what it does. And so think about it in your own life. Whatever, If you have a relationship and sin creeps in, know that it is not going to produce health. It's going to produce death. People, we find out that they, they get trapped in their sin, and either whether you know it's a sin like uh, you know gambling or some other kind of addiction, and they spend and spend and spend. Or we get caught in it, and then people try to blackmail do it, and all of a sudden wealth is wiped out. Entire fortunes have been wiped out because somebody was ensnared in a habit, reputations where people go for decades, and people think they're wonderful, and then it's discovered what's been hidden. All along, And suddenly a, gener- a reputation built up over decades is lost in moments. But most to the point, moment by moment, sin tells you, it goes on in just a couple of verses, it says, you know, stolen water and bread is sweet. It tells you, if you have me, you're going to find joy. And what happens is the second you touch it, joy dissipates. Joy dies in the presence of sin. So what this means for us is we have to be very earnest to kill sin before it kills us. John Owen, great Puritan thinker, theologian, and writer, wrote in a book called On the Mortification of Sin, On Killing Sin, he said this, do you mortify? Now, he's writing several hundred years ago, this is not a question, he's not asking are you mortifying, he's giving a command, you must mortify or kill Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We should have that emblazoned up up before us. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. There is no in-between. And if you ever watch a movie where there's some foolish person going along, and you realize they're interacting with a bad person, or maybe they're about to open a door, and you know something horrible is behind that door, and you're like hollering at the TV like, you dummy, don't do that. I, I mean, don't open the door, or don't have anything to do with that person. You know what's going on in heaven constantly? Sin is there and beckoning you and I, and all the angels of God are saying, don't do that. Don't be dumb. Kill that sin or it's going to kill you. If you open that door, the the whole movie's going south. And we stand there and we're convinced. We all are, every one of us, including me, because we wouldn't sin if we weren't. We are convinced. We look at it and it's kind of like a cute little puppy. Come climb up in my lap. It's going to be okay. I'll pet you I'll feed you, I'll play with you a little bit. And all the angels are saying, are you kidding me? This thing is gonna grow up and destroy you. Long way from a board game where it's fun to practice the seven deadly sins. So we're gonna talk about how to do this over the, the coming months, but. I want to look at these seven. What we're really looking at is the root vices that feed our sin. Because if we're about killing sin, the question is, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? And the reality is, what we think of in our culture, if we decide we do want to stop something, we want to go all the way to the end of the tree and pluck the leaf or the fruit off and say, I've stopped that. And then tomorrow find out that actually now two new ones grew out because you can't stop it at the fruit level. You have to stop it at the root level. Now, Jesus is one who brought this up. For example, he does it many places, but in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, if you look at verses 21 and 22 and 27 and 28, he does it several places, but I'll just pick two of them. Remember, Jesus said, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, which is actually in the Ten Commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, is Jesus saying this because anger is worse than murder? No. Why is he making this point? Because he says, if you're having the impulse to murder someone and you conquer it today, but you nurse your anger, it's only a matter of time. One day, you will give in. And so Jesus says it's not enough to stop murder. You've got to go to the root. And what underlies murder is anger, wrath, one of the seven deadly, one of the seven roots. Verse 27, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. Once again, Jesus is not saying it's the exact same thing as the act. But what he's saying is, is if you embrace the root vice, If you embrace lust, it's just a matter of time before you act on it. So he picked out two there that are actually in the the vices we're going to look at. But notice what he's doing is Jesus is condemning not just final sin, but its root cause. Anger is a root vice that leads to the sin of murder. Lust is a root vice that leads to the sin of adultery. So this means for you and me, it's not enough to prune the fruit of individual sins we have to cut the root of the vices that nourish those sins, that lead to those. And until the underlying disposition is cut and uprooted, the sin will never truly die. It just doesn't. Have you ever gardened before? What does every garden grow best? Weeds, weeds, right? Because the problem is you pluck it up And what happens? Somewhere down there, that root is still there. And as long as it's still there, have you ever noticed? I mean, you can like put a foot of concrete on top of it. And it will find its way up. The only way to get rid of it is it has to be uprooted. It has to be dealt with. And that's what we're talking about. Now, let me give kind of a brief history of the seven deadly sins. What's interesting is The seven deadly sins do not actually appear as a list in Scripture. Nowhere will you read, and these are the seven deadly sins. All of them appear in Scripture. All of them are called sin. They are oftentimes, several of them, lumped together like we just saw. Jesus had lust and anger lumped together. Um, But the list doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture. So where did this list come from? Well, it actually started a, a list of kind of root sins, things that led to others, was first laid down by a man named Evagrius of Pontus. He's a, he's a real hero of all of y'all, right? I, I'm not making this up. There is a guy named Evagrius of Pontus. He was a desert monk that lived in Egypt from 345 to 399. He was out there. Now, the desert monks were a group of people that had begun by fleeing persecution when R- Rome was killing Christians. Many of them had gone out. And Over time, they developed a lot of wisdom about how to live in holiness and how to fight against sin. But many of them were not literate, but Evagrius was. So he started writing down and saying, you know what? When we have escaped and we're out here and we're out in the desert and we're far from the city and far from all the temptations that people think they normally deal with, these are the bad boys that don't die. These are the ones that stay on and on and on. And he gave a list, and originally his list, I think, had uh, nine of them. Some of them are not on our current list. They were particularly given to monks living in a desert environment. But eventually a man named John Cassian came from the West, and he was living out there with these monks, and he wrote them down, and he brought them back to the, to the West, and he originally listed eight vices, not seven, but eight, and He also developed an organic metaphor to kind of explain it. And he said, what it's kind of like is these are the roots that nourish the tree. And the tree is producing the sins in our lives. And these are the, and he kind of had eight of them. And what they were originally referred to is capital vices. Now, the reason capital, we don't think of this, because, you know, we think of capital and say, like, well, Washington, D.C. is our capital. But we still have the idea, if you think about it, it means it's the source, it's the place from which other stuff flows. It's the word that was used for the, the capital part of a river is the source from which it's a, it flows. It's the springs. And so these were capital vices. They were the headwaters, and he used a stream, but they were also the roots which produced the fruit of sin in our lives, the fountainhead. Pope Gregory, Gregory the Great, uh, joined a couple of them together, and added envy, and he eventually created the list as it's known today. And today, what we know of as these sins and vices, which we're going to talk about, are pride, envy, wrath, or sometimes called anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. Now, what I want to tell you is, as we're doing this, you're going to discover, like, sloth is not sitting around eating potato chips sleeping on Sunday afternoon while footballs, but that has nothing to do with it because watching football is a good thing to do on a Sunday. No. I was surprised. I looked at a couple of these when I studied and I thought sloth's not going to be one I have a problem with. And then you discover you might have a lot more problem than you thought. Gluttony was one that I thought. Gluttony is not, you cannot tell gluttony by looking at somebody's body mass index. You could be starving and a glutton. Okay? It's much more about internal dispositions, but that's the list. Now, let me say, this list is not the only way to look at this. It's not the only way to look at fighting sin, but it is a great tool that was developed over centuries of Christian experience of people who were saying, how do I fight sin? How do I stop this and become more like Jesus? How's the Holy Spirit trying to work to make me look more like the way I was made look? And How do I do that? And this is a great way of doing that. So it's a tool to help you and I understand root causes behind our behavior and to help us learn to fight against sin and grow to be more like Him. If so, you may have a sin because what we very often do is we notice the way the sin comes out in our life. I have this particular thing. It may be that I do overeat. But what's going on underneath that? Or... Maybe I've got, you know, some other thing. I'm, I'm working all the time and I'm destroying my family relationships by being gone at work all the time. Well, why am I doing that? What's going on underneath it? That's what we want to talk about. Now, why am I calling them seven root vices instead of seven deadly sins? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, the original meaning, what was developed was exactly that. It was capital. It was source. It was, it was the root idea. And the the best metaphor, and the one we're using, and thanks to Stephanie who's created this uh, cool graphic here that we're going to kind of unpack in these coming weeks, the best metaphor is an organic one. And these are the roots. They are the branches. So if you actually notice, if you can see this up here, what looks like bark is actually not. It's each of the vices printed out heading up. So if you look at the roots on the far left, you've got pride, and it leads to the far left branch. Because what we're trying to show you is whatever sins you've got that are popping out as these leaves, they may be rooted in pride all the way back down. Or envy, or wrath, or sloth, or on through the list. Okay, so they're all going there and this is what we're trying to get. They're producing the fruit in our lives. So root is better than deadly. But secondly, the word deadly often has two wrong connotations. One of them is in the West, we kind of came up with deadly sins as being those that were mortal sins. They killed grace as opposed to venial sins. Those aren't too too good. Now, the reason we're not doing that is because that's a wildly unbiblical idea, and I'm not going to preach a wildly unbiblical idea, and mortal and venial has nothing to encourage us to think that way. It's just the church had completely lost its way at that point, okay? That's not true. So, so that whole idea is unbiblical. We want to stay away from it. Second, what people oftentimes think is, oh, these are the deadly sins. These must be the worst. And then we say, so instead of murder, I've got sloth? Really? So me kind of being lazy is worse than murder? Well, first off, again, that misunderstands what sloth is. But secondly, no, the, the point is not that even wrath is worse than murder. That, that, was, that was not Jesus' point, but it is the point that it leads to the other. It's the root that nourishes the other. So that for that reason, we're going to call them root rather than deadly. Now, why am I calling them vices instead of sins? Sin, most often I mean, sometimes it refers to our nature, but most often when we think of sin, we're talking about a discrete act that violates God's will, OK? Brett got angry, picked something up, and threw it against the wall. And you say, that was a sin. And you would be right. That would be a sin. Vice refers to habits or settled dispositions rather than merely discrete acts. Sin is I pick something up and I throw it against the wall. Vice is the fact that I have a regular pattern of doing that. Uh, Rebecca DeYoung, who is actually the um, philosopher and theologian that I first heard in an interview that made me start thinking about this whole topic years ago used this example, and I think it's really good. Sin is a snapshot. Vice is a movie. Sin is just that one moment in time. Vice says, but there's a lot of those snapshots that go together that are producing this is a picture in our So we're using vice because we're looking at the underlying habits and the underlying dispositions that feed sins we struggle with in our daily lives. I might have a problem of speaking things I shouldn't speak, but underlying that might be a disposition of pride or envy or wrath that produces it. So we're trying to get to those underlying dispositions. Now, if you notice one other thing that's going on here in the graphic, is down in there, there's the soil that's around it, and what it says is disordered love. Disordered love. There was a little bit of a debate as these were developed in the history of the church. Some people said pride was kind of the root, and they actually even broke out and said vainglory will be one of the seven, and pride feeds all of them. And there's some usefulness in doing that, but The more I thought about it and prayed about it and spent time and looked at it, what I really believe underlies even the vices themselves. What is the soil that is nourishing the roots and branches that is producing the sin in our lives is a disordered love. Your tendency and mine to desire something more than God and something apart from God. Trace whatever sin... Back through whatever vice, when you get down to the soil, there's something we're loving more than God, or there is something we're loving apart from God. So disordered love strengthens the vices, and it encourages us to find our identity in something other than God and attempt to seek fulfillment in something besides God himself. That's the ultimate quest. And that may produce wrath that produces a particular behavior, or it may produce lust that produces a particular behavior. But at the root of it all, we believe that somehow my joy, my fulfillment, my identity is somewhere other than God himself and God's work. C.S. Lewis, in a letter, wrote this. It's It's a great quote. I'm just going to give you an excerpt out of it. But he said this, Be quite rid of that old haunting suspicion which raises its head in every temptation that there is something else than God, some kind of delight which he doesn't appreciate or just chooses to forbid, but which would be real delight if only we were allowed to get it. Anybody ever had that thought before? The thing just isn't there. Whatever we desire is either what God is trying to give us as quickly as He can, or else a false picture of what He is trying to give us. A false picture which would not attract us for a moment if we saw the real thing. Hear what Lewis said? That's temptation. I'm convinced if I get this, it's joy. My soul's going to say, ah. And Lewis says, Either God's already been trying to give you that thing and you're now trying to get it apart from him or God's got a reason he's not giving you that thing and if you could see what it's actually going to do, you would be repelled by it rather than attracted by it. That's all disordered love. That's the soil that is surrounding and producing this. So the vices then out of that disordered love. When I'm convinced that there's something that if I could just have this, life's gonna be good. That starts producing vice because that thing is always there feeding it. And the more I dwell on it, the more my disposition turns that way. And then I start wondering why these leaves and fruits are popping up on the end of my branches. And the problem is I'm busy pruning. What I really gotta do is get all the way down to those roots and all the way down to that disordered love. So here's kind of an overview of what we're going to be doing over the next number of weeks. I want to kind of summarize the statements here. First, the seven root vices grow out of disordered love, our tendency to desire something more than God. There's something we're wanting. You and I don't like that statement. But when I bow my knee and engage in that sin, at that moment I desire that thing more than I desire God. And if I didn't, I wouldn't do it. Secondly, the seven root vices are formed as we try to find our identity in something other than God, attempting to seek fulfillment in something besides God. So what happens is, I, as, as I'm wanting this thing, it starts to become my identity, who I am. Listen to what our, how our culture talks now. Everything where I'm told to say no to some impulse of mine, but it's who I am. Now, who you are is who God made you to be. And that's never sin. That is never vice. Thirdly, the seven root vices are habits and dispositions of character which nourish and produce the fruit of sin. That soil by this point has produced a habit and a disposition of character. I'm so constantly trying to seek this fulfillment, trying to find my identity, trying to express this disordered love that it now becomes an entrenched habit and a disposition of character. Then what that does, fourthly, is they... The, is it produces the the sin in my life. Now, how do we cut it? Well, fourth, the seven root vices are opposed by corresponding virtues, which oppose the vice and form Christ-like character in us. So it's not just that there's pride, we'll look at next week, but opposing pride is humility. There's an opposite to every one of these, sometimes several of them. And then finally, and we're going to develop these each week, God's given us practices of resistance to reorder our love, cut the root vice, and encourage Christ-like virtues. I can't, I couldn't get, there's no way Stephanie could create one logo that would show it all, but that's actually kind of what we're doing. We're, re, we're repotting, we're re-putting new, fresh, good soil. We're trying to cut the old roots and, and transplant something new in here. That's how virtue grows in our life, and God gives us practices everything you and i do encourages one sort of disposition one sort of character one type of character trait to be developed and it opposes another and it's everything we do they're not neutral and so what are the habits the practices that encourage virtue and put down evil we want to look at that so our spiritual formation Especially our overcoming sin and growing in Christ like virtues is often undermined because we don't understand that that's going on right there. Because if I'm up cutting off the leaves and wondering why I come back tomorrow, and there they are again. I, I fight this every year. I, I mean, and I know how this works. I have a neighbor behind me who has a couple of trees that grow over into my yard. And every year I go out and I prune them. And I'm talking, some years it takes two pickup truck loads worth the vines and branches. And guess what will happen again this spring? I'm gonna be right back out there again because I've never dealt with the bottom line root because if I do, my neighbor will call me before the police. But so the good news for you and I is we're not stuck by property lines. You actually can get to the roots and deal with it. So that's what we're gonna do. So let's talk about applying the word. I'm gonna ask one brief question and then kind of talk about a little bit more about what we're going to be doing coming up here. And that question for today, which is the base issue for us today, is do I see that sin ensnares me, destroying my joy? I began by showing some of the ways our culture deals with this. And one of those is that board game that you can go buy on Amazon. But see, it tells us that sin and vice is a game. And that's what our culture does. I'm not just getting on that that particular game maker. This is what we do constantly in our culture. Sin and vice is a game, we say. But they're not. It destroys everything it touches. You better be killing sin or it's going to be killing you and everything you love. That's the nature of sin. Do not believe the lie. Sinning does not produce winning. It produces death. It's the ultimate loss. Now, you and I, as we say, and it was actually even prayed this morning, we were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But here's what sin and vice do. They not only don't produce that glory to God and joy for us, they actually destroy our capacity and ability to know, love, and enjoy God and His gifts. The more you and I are held fast by the cords of our sin, the less capacity your soul and mine have to actually know and love and enjoy God. Not because God's any less knowable or any less lovable, or any less enjoyable. But sin is actually shrinking my capacity. One of the books I read in preparing for this series was put out by Desiring God Ministries, and what they actually called their their book on the seven, uh, seven deadly sins was killjoys. The seven vices that destroy your joy. That's what they are. That's what they actually do to you and I. But here's what happens. On the other hand, the opposing virtues, the things we're trying to encourage, they actually nurture and increase our capacity to glorify God and enjoy Him now and forever. A virtuous soul has a capacity to know and love and glorify and enjoy God and commend Him to others. And a soul held fast by sin, even if it's a believing soul, its capacity to know, love, glorify, and enjoy God and commend him to others is shrinking day by day. So, do we see that? Do we understand that? Because, and, and don't take for granted that we do because 24-7 what you're being told is that's not true. He's just a preacher. He's just a cranky old guy. And it may be true, I may be a cranky old guy. But, except for y'all know I'm young. Uh, this, this is not about my disposition and crankiness. It's truth. This is what sin does. So I, I'm, today's making an appeal. This is a serious thing. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna Our labor together between now and Easter is to kill vice and grow virtue. Uh, we're going to labor in this together. So each Sunday, we're going to be looking at one of the seven. Next week, it'll be pride. But we're going to be learning, as Stephanie's created in the logo here, to lay the acts of God's word and God's will to the root vices in our lives. This is, this is practice. It's not just knowledge. It's we want each week as we struggle and say that's there, I want the word of God to be an ax that cuts that thing in my life because I don't want that stuff being produced up above. I want it to wither away and die. So we're going to labor together to do that. And so it's, but we're going to remember it's not enough to kill vice. We've also got to grow in virtue. So this is back to that principle I've been talking about some in recent months of putting off and putting on. Real briefly here in Colossians 3. Notice what the apostle Paul says. I won't even take the time to read all the verses, but verses 5, 9 and 10 and verse 12. Notice Paul says the the things in blue put to death whatever belongs to your old nature. In verse 9, you have taken off your old self and its practices. But he also tells us in verse 10, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. He tells us in verse 12, clothe yourself. So notice the call is putting off, putting on. Put to death, see something made alive. And I want you to notice, this is Paul to the Colossian believers. This is not about justification. You're not justified. You're not, you're not saved. You're not made God's child by doing this. Paul's writing this to believers. As a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, heir of God, Paul says, you've got to put to death. You've got to be killing sin or it'll be killing you. You've got to to put this to death. You've got to be clothed with Christ. So by God's power, we put off and we put on. So what we're going to do is each week we're going to seek to understand the vice, but We're also going to try and understand the opposing virtue, and we're going to have practices. At the end of this, I'm going to give you a table that's going to say, here's the vice. Here's how it's a disordered love. Here's how you're seeking your identity somewhere else. Here's an opposing virtue, and here's practices to cut that vice and encourage that virtue. Okay, We're going to try and be really practical in what we're doing. Each day, there's going to be short daily readings from Scripture. You got a devotional card this morning. You will also, tomorrow morning, if you're like me and you prefer it, there will be an email for you, bright and shiny in the morning, with this. I encourage you, take a look at the logo that's there. Pay attention. Think through the concept of what we're trying to do and trying to get there. And so there's also going to be practices to help us put off the vice and put on the virtue. This week, it's largely just some questions and getting into the Word. But next week, when we're putting off pride and putting on humility, What are practices that help us do that? And then how do we practice those? How do we put them into effect in our lives? I would also encourage you, as you're doing this, to give up something. This is a time, traditionally the church calls Lent, that we'll start in about a week. And all it was is it was a time where we would fast and we would give up something. It's like everything else we do, we've degraded it into silly stuff that's not the point. The point is me clearing out space. If you've ever worked in a garden, you know when you're going to work on something, you got you to clear some space around it. That's what we're talking about. Setting aside some time because if you and I are going to encourage new practices in our lives that are the acts that are cutting those vices and encouraging virtues, we got to give space for them to get rooted We gotta give space for it to help it grow. So I encourage you to think through some things that might be consuming some time. Social media, TV, hanging out at the pub after work, whatever it is, and just say, I'm gonna take seven weeks to cut that. You got a week to think through what those are, okay? But I encourage you to take time every day and then for us to focus and to do that together. Now. How we're going to conclude today is we're going to come down here and we're going to come to the table of the Lord. And this table is a feasting table. And today, kind of in our talk of what we're doing, I want us to remind ourselves that the soil that nurtures sin is this disordered love. And every one of us faces this. Every one of us. I I wish I could tell you, I mean, I've been a believer for, you know, January 1978, so I just passed 40 years. Okay, long time of walking with Jesus. There is disordered love in my soil. There just is. At the table, we're going to reorient our love. We're asking God to remind us. He's calling us away. If I can use a different metaphor, he's calling you away from the junk food that this world offers to true food that feeds your soul. And the reason our loves get so disordered, sometimes we come in and when God's trying to work and to do this, I'm already full. I ate junk food and there's no hunger. My my love has been so reoriented and I'm not even ready to have it set the way God wants. So we're gonna come to the Lord's table today and I wanna encourage you to come and to feast and to also ask God as you're doing this to renew your hunger for every day this week, to be hungering for him. As always, you, are, you don't have to be a member of our church, you're welcome to participate with us as long as you are a believer, that you understand the gospel. Like I said a minute ago, all of this process is not how we're justified. We're justified by broken body and shed blood. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, my, my eternal security is not based on how well my sanctification is doing this week, okay? But as those who've been justified, I, I, I don't want to have death robbing me of joy and destroying everything around me, and that's what sin does. So friends, we're gonna come today to this table to do that. For what I received from the Lord Jesus, I also pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. Thy truth unchanging hath ever stood. Thou savest those that on thee call. To them that seek thee, thou art good to them that find thee all in all. Lord, as we come to this feasting table, we turn from the false feasts of this world that have so often left us unfilled. We pray that you would reorder our wandering love so that we hunger and thirst for you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them. We will take them together in just a couple moments. We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. Jesus, you are the bread come down from heaven, and we look to you to feed us, O living word. For in taking this, we acknowledge we do not live by earthly bread alone, but by the word coming from the Father, the bread of life. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and eat. We have tasted thee, O living bread, and long to feed upon thee still. We drink of thee, the fountain head, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. Jesus, you are the living water and the wine of life. We look to you to slake our spiritual thirst, for the drink of this world leaves us parched and dry. But you are the true vine, and those who drink of you shall never thirst again. Take and drink the cup of the Lord. Oh, Jesus, be our strength and stay and make our spirits calm and bright. Chase all the dark thoughts of sin away and shine over us your holy light. Lord Jesus, as we are entering this journey together, hear our prayer. Holy Spirit of the living God, we want to be those who would see clearly the darkness and vileness of sin And the beauty of virtue, because it looks like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray, change the soil of our disordered loves. Make us more like Jesus. Help us to long for him and love him so that we might glorify and enjoy him forever. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand together. We will conclude with a word of benediction. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may equip you with everything good doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And God's people say, amen. Go in the peace of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.